Well, this is channel open with Amber, James, and Kenton. Unless we go alphabetically by last name. I'll be last. Then you'll be last. That I know. Without seeing it. We had a different name, but it turns out there's already one of those. But anyhow, this is um, season one, episode, I guess, two. Might have to do some editing on the first one to change the name of it. But Right. Um, for those who have not listened to us before, this is uh, just pretty much the three of us discussing topics. Sometimes we discuss news. Sometimes we talk about experiences and stories. Mostly popo. Mostly police related. Sometimes military related. Sometimes has nothing to do with either of those things. Mm-hmm. But uh, all of our bios and everything are on our website. And in the first episode, but I've uh, I've got 14 years full time, almost 20 years carrying a badge. I found out the other day. I and uneventfully celebrated 15 years. Uneventfully. Last month. Yes. Um, Have you gotten your 15-year pin? No, I'll get that in a year. I never even got my 10-year pin. I got my 20-year pin in a basement in Conroe, and they found it in a drawer at some clerk's office. <laughs> oh, is this yours? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it, I think they enter office mail them now. Do they? Mm-hmm. That's That's a touching situation. Yeah, thank it you for your service. Yeah. I had a I had a job before this, and I had a five year uh, award, and you pick something out of a catalog. And I didn't, my supervisor and I didn't really get along, and he called me. He said, "You have a box up here. You need to come get it." So okay, I show up, and the other boss has his feet on it, sitting in the chair with his feet resting on my box. And I said, "You call? I have a box here or something?" And uh, He's like, oh, that, that that box under your feet, that's hers. So he kicked it to me across the floor. That's how. That was the presentation. So. That's a morale builder. Yeah, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I left that place. Well, we, uh, we try to come up with topics. We try to stay on topic. We don't always do that. We try to stay on time. We don't always do that, but there's no rules. Nope. We just kind of go here. with the flow. Uh, we were talking about topics for today, and... One thing we didn't touch on in our first episode that we kind of wanted to touch on on this episode is uh, any advice or guidance or insight that we might have for the new generation of, of police that are starting, whether they're coming out of a different career, maybe they're a little bit older and more experienced coming to be a police officer, or they're 22 years old and fresh out of the academy and being a police officer, or 19 years old and going into the jail. Um or coming out of the military and going into law enforcement. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's so many different ways and reasons that people get into the job. But I think that one thing that sounds cliche and one thing that um, if we were dealing with interviews and we're talking about people wanting to be a police officer, I know my answer when they asked the same question to everybody, my answer was, uh, you know, why do you want to be a police officer? And my answer was to help people. I got into cop work to help people. There's no better feeling in the world than genuinely helping someone who right. needs help. And uh, so it sounds cliche, but that's why I got into it. And I think that's probably why some people will take the risk in today's climate to get into it. Yep, absolutely. Most, most, about nine, 99% maybe. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean. Maybe 98%. 
I mean, I think it's pretty admirable nowadays to get into it. I mean, when we started, you just, it was a respected profession. People looked up to police officers and it was, you know. Understood that they're people too and are not perfect. Yeah, and there was, uh, you know, just as long as you were honest about what you did and and tried to follow the law and maybe you made a mistake, as long as you were honest about it, you were going to be okay. And that's just really not the case anymore. And uh, most of what I just said is not the case anymore. It's not a respected profession by a lot of people. Um, so for these young kids that I see getting into it now, I'm like, wow, good on you. I don't know if, yeah. There are some places in the country like our county and uh, other counties similar to ours and states that are similar to ours that it's not bad being a cop i can't go anywhere on most days if i go somewhere to eat uh stop to get something at the store i would say not a day goes by that somebody doesn't say thank you for what you do we pray for you absolutely all those things so if you have to be a cop certainly here's the best place that i know of yeah to do it I wouldn't and, go one county after, south. After Goforth was shot down in Harris County, I don't know how many years ago that was now, six, seven years ago. Yeah. Um, I couldn't buy a meal in uniform for months. Right. Uh, well. The support was pretty overwhelming. It is. It is here. Um, even my, telling. My thought is, so I, I work out of the jail environment, and I see a lot of young kids. They work in the jail. And they get accepted to go to our academy, and they're excited, and and I always give them sort of... A reality check? No, just sort of like three, two or three pieces of information that I think are like the most important things that every young officer, every new officer, and some who are not new need to know. Um, number one, run every call like it was your mom. Right. That called 911. It'll get mundane. You'll want to run through some calls. You'll get annoyed. But remember, something was bad enough to make them call 911. So run the call. Be thorough. Number two, never, ever, ever call your supervisor and ask if you have to take a report. <laughs> take the report. Your coworkers are going to spend more time than it would have taken you to write the report trying to figure out how to get out of taking the report. Take the report and move on. You will never get in trouble for writing the report. You will only get in trouble for not taking the report. Take the report. And number three is nobody will remember any cool shit you do. They will only remember the time that you scream like a little bitch into the radio. So get your grits in a bowl. Take a deep breath. Key up. Say what you need to say. That's my... Those are your three. Those are my three. I got more, but those okay. are my three main yeah, ones. We could talk all day about <laughs> advice. Uh, the the ones that I spoke to, I probably spoke too long, but um, kind of like I said, a reality check. Not necessarily re- reality check, but something that I don't want something to burst their bubble when they get out there and go, oh, you know, expect this, expect that. Because it's going to happen. You're going to get in trouble for this when you thought you were doing the right thing. Um, A lot of it is uh, sometimes it's politics. Sometimes you just have to keep moving on to the next day. You know, politics does play a big role. uh, And it's sad to have to admit that, but that's true. Um, But 
the, the young men and women that are learning today, I just think that they – I would tell them also bounce around, go to another division. I stayed most of my career in, in patrol, and I got kind of burned out. Um, and bouncing around in districts can make a big difference. Absolutely. And I think that even doing that – so, yeah, my last, I think, 12 years I was in the same district. But um, going to another division – whether it be uh, investigative uh, areas or whatever, uh, it really takes, it changes things up and it's good for a resume, you know, and it changes things up to where it's not, you know, everything's not the same for 20 plus years and you get tired of it, you know, or some people do, I did, you know. I, I think the best, the best time I had in patrol was after I was a detective because I knew more about investigating right. and what I needed to prove up a case and I had had some specialized training in interview and interrogation. Absolutely. And had a level of comfort in interrogating a suspect and would run some calls with some folks and they were on the list for the next detective promotion cycle. And we'd clear the call out and they'd be like, God, I can't wait to take the classes you've been to because they could see the techniques right. that, that I had learned. And I think... I really think that would be a really good program for patrolmen. You know, part of our patrol training used to be, I don't know what it is now, but it used to be you had to ride with, or go sit in dispatch for a day so right. that you could see. I really think that a patrolman should ride with a detective for, for a couple of days and see, you know, when, when, this, when the victim of the fraud is handing you every piece of documentation they have right. of any financial <laughs> instrument they have, and you having investigated frauds can weed through it and go, no, ma'am, I just need this, this, and this. Right. It's beneficial. Um, so. Regarding training, I think it was it was always my policy as a sergeant. If one was with me, I would call dispatch and say, if we have a murder or a, a suicide by weapon or, or a suicide, whatever, uh, the, my trainee was going to that call. That's the way it was when I was training. And I'm not saying all FTOs are like this, but some – get into a groove where they don't want to answer certain calls just as if they didn't have a field training or a, uh, a training with them. And I think it's very important as the other uh, deputies on the street will watch that it, they, they went through the same program and they were, they're thinking, Hey, I had to answer all these. So I know when you go to CSI, you're going to all the dirty calls and all the horrific calls. And it's, you have to do that. Get in the deep end of the pool. Right, and I think it's very important that you stick them with the right FTO because if you don't, they're not going to learn. And well, they get one time. They do it once, and they think, well, we've already got one of those. Yeah, we got it signed off. <laughs> it's right. checked off. We don't need that one anymore. You need that multiple smells. Oh, yeah. Multiple sounds, uh, multiple the scenes. Methods. Right. Um, and and I would frequently say, you know, uh, hey, call up an FTO and say, you got your trainee with you today? Head over to this call. Well, so-and-so has already picked it up. Have him write a mock report. Don't submit it, but right. he needs to do a report too. Right. And Or she needs to do a report as well. And you can have three deputies doing a report on the same scene. Right. The other two may not get submitted, but at least you are having them do the motions. They're doing it. And One of the things I did when I was uh, before I went to patrol was uh, I had a good friend, Keith Smith. He's uh, sadly passed away since then, but uh, he was a, a – an excellent report writer uh, and I would he would print out all his reports for me and he worked for Conroe Police Department and uh, I didn't know too too many people out on patrol when I was working in the jail 
I knew him. I went and ride, uh, I rode with him all the time. And uh, so he taught me how to speak uh, and taught me how to write in the proper manner, uh, even if it was something that was not questionable, but something that someone wouldn't understand why you took a certain action. Mm-hmm. And so I read probably 50, 60 reports of his just to get the lingo down and, and uh, the right terminology for certain situations. I think the best advice for report writing that I, or for just kind of running a call that I got was actually from you, James, which was every call is the same. Absolutely. Every call you're a looking stump for. stump toe to a murder. What's, yeah. What's the scene? Who's your victim? Who's your suspect? Who's your witness? What's your offense? What are your elements of your offense? And you're just finding that in every single call. Murder, stub toe, bank robbery. It's the same thing over Some and over again. As soon as you get that in your brain, then that fear to pick up the mic and take that call starts to go away. And you're like, nope, right. I got this. It's mm-hmm. all the same. Yeah, What's some of them you need more detail. You know, like a homicide is obviously going to be a longer report than right. a $50 theft. But they're the same call. It's exactly the same call. So well, sometimes it's not longer than a fifty dollars theft. I mean, <laughs> sometimes it is, not. It, it is not at the patrol the level. Information that you have may be just the same. Well, I mean, the, the the murder that I because at some point like someone takes murder. over, right? Yeah. And that one, like I thought, that was the easiest reporter I ever took because we had detectives on scene, right? And crime scene. And crime scene. I yeah. mean, my job just got a whole lot easier. Other than I need to document, you know, a crime scene log and a couple other things. Well, that's what's great. We were kind of spoiled working for the sheriff's office that we had all the resources to. We didn't have them every time, like at 3 in the morning. But most of the time, if it was bad enough, we had them all. And uh, I did I did appreciate that, that we had the resources to not dump it off on someone, but their expertise is coming in, and they're going right. to take care of this section of the, the investigation. Well, and they've got trainees, too. They've got yep. people that are freshly promoted out of patrol or somewhere, some division, and they need that, that work as well. Absolutely. So their supervisors can make that call as to who's coming out to our scene. Right. I know you and I, Kenton, uh, you and I got a reputation that if we called a specialized division in the middle of the night, they just went ahead and started getting dressed. It was As soon as they bad. saw our name. Yeah. <laughs> we're calling you. <laughs> You're going to... There's going to need to be a couple of you coming out. Right. Or if I call for advice, uh, it wasn't necessarily to put it on someone else. I truly needed advice on I wanted to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the time I, I could think outside the box or go along with policy. But sometimes, like I just said, you have to think outside the box. and Creative uh, police work. Right. It's not always written down. Mm-hmm. You know. I know there are detectives that – would look at a certain sergeant calling and then they go, hang on a second, this may be nothing. But right. if they saw my or your name pop up, they'd go, fuck. Yeah, we got some cars dented. <laughs> uh, Here we go. Yeah. There's been, someone's been dragged three yeah. miles down the freeway or something. It's going to be bad. But they did something bad enough for that to happen, so they're, uh, they're, they're, they're in the game. They're ready to go. Sure, yeah. So, um, well, we talked about our those things. What would I, I guess what would I say to people getting into it? Um, We always make jokes. Those of us that have been out of it for any length of time, you know, don't do it. You know, we make jokes. Right. Go be a fireman. Go be, be a fireman. Buy for, all the T-shirts. Yeah. Be the uh, be the garden hose salesman in a hardware store. I will store, say but, before you get into it, I apologize for interrupting, but uh, I think that some of the training that were even – I left in 2018, 
um, the uh, de-escalation, um, it's, even when I was there, it seemed that some of the young bucks, if that's a proper saying now, I don't know, but they uh, they would rely on de, you know, de-escalating a whole lot more than they would on their own census. And uh, if your gut feeling is telling you that this de-escalation is not going to work or he's still at, uh, you know, level number 10 on being pissed off and ready to fight or do whatever he's going to do, uh, and I'm not saying de-escalation is not good because it is. Sure. But you've got to be ready to go to guns or and I'm, I'm speaking pilot terms. Uh, right versus missiles or whatever or back and forth uh you've got to be able to put your hands on someone and that's the thing that i think a lot of them are they're not scared to do it i think they're they're nervous and they're ner- they're ner- they're they're uh they are scared i think they are not scared because they are afraid like cowardly am i okay not scared to fight am but I okay scared to the do this exactly and i've seen video after video of an officer being murdered uh, because they hesitated, because that you know, and one of them had his gun in his hand. In his hand, yes, yes, and uh, it was and sad died. to watch. Mm-hmm. And, and here he's going through that rolodex of legal BS. Yep, and he died because of it. I guess that would be the first thing I would say is don't let hesitation cause you to go six feet into the ground. Right. Um, you do need de-escalation. You do need to go through, and and if you can, and you have to escalate the force continuum. You if you have to use right. force. Keep in mind that there is uh, the possibility that it's going to be recorded by 60 different people. It's going to be on edited on YouTube and all this, whatnot. Somebody's not going to like what you did. They're going to cut out everything up to the point you pull the trigger. Right. And But the if the alternative of that is you're going to be, you know, orphaning your child, don't hesitate to act. You, you need to go home to your family at night. So we're out here to do a job. It's not a pretty job by any means. I mean, there's your community outreach programs. Um, you know, we used to have to go to the, the meetings with um, the uh, subdivisions and the right. different villages and stuff. You go in there and you answer questions, and, and those things are wonderful. But especially the night shift, cop work is an ugly profession. It's not pretty all the time. And um, you have to be cognizant without being afraid to act. Right. So to that, I would say you need legal insurance. Absolutely. Yes. If you're out there in a in a uniform with a gun on your hip and you don't have a card in your wallet that has your lawyer 24/7 available to you. Cleat, FOP, and TMDA. And that always be frowned upon. Yeah. No, 100% working in a jail environment, any kind of corrections officer, any kind of anything, you don't need to be doing it without legal protection. Yep. It's not expensive. I think they made it to where at least at this agency they made it to where it's you can do it on a direct debit. Don't yeah, they do direct debit now? The, comes out of my paycheck. And then I have a supplemental policy that covers myself and my husband as... Like an off-duty situation or... Well, his, his uh, you know, I guess constitutional carry now, but it started as a uh, concealed carry, licensed carry, whatever. Okay, so yeah. that if he got in a bind, it covered... Or otherwise, you're just sitting there by yourself. You have to hire a lawyer anyway. Right. And so, so I, and I've talked to him about what to do. Whether it be civil or criminal. Right. It seems like, um, or I'll, I guess I'll, I'll ask it as a question. Does it seem like that the newer officers, even though they're young, seem to be a little more tempered and a little more intelligent than we were when we started? Because when I started, it was almost like cowboying. 
Right. Um, um, well, it, I think a lot of guys that I grew up with, uh, when I say grew up in law enforcement, they may not they didn't sound like the sharpest tool in the shed, but they the they street had a lot smarts of sense. were there. Yes. Um, so I would I don't know what I would take over the other, maybe a mixture of both. But uh, maybe that's I what's think required you're right now. though. I think a lot of them, well, a lot of they're going to college and then they you know they 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 get out and now they want to be the police or whatever. Uh, we just went me I went straight from the military into law enforcement, um, and I probably should have done a couple other things in between there, but I didn't. So maybe more people nowadays respect or expect um, someone who has a degree or at least has some higher education rather than someone who and that could be going the opposite direction though you know depending on how certain people's actions because uh, we've seen um, the highest level of education fail mm-hmm. um, I've seen it many times at that agency so um, I think I've, kids are just more sophisticated now just because of the, the intellect. how readily yeah. available information is right yeah they are not doing we grew the Dewey up without Decimal the system right to do their book report like we did the dewey decimal system and <laughs> i mentioned that one time he said you know what that is and i said come on man everybody our age knows what right. do we now so is the minute we say this though somebody under the age of 25 They're is googling dewey decimal system they have no idea um but you know we were looking up stuff in encyclopedias yeah. to do our yeah. high school book reports and having to go to the library to do stuff and and so I think that the level of sophistication just has to do with their, the how accessible information is now. Um, well, to prove your point, I read a lot more than I did a long time ago because I didn't have access to yeah. whatever I wanted to, you know, look at. I had to go find it, you know. Uh, my wife's always asking me, what are you looking at, you know? Like I'm looking at a truck to buy or something. No, I read, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, it's all, all at your fingertips now. Yeah. I mean, when we started, the, the even the recording systems, um, people didn't have... I think the smartphone that was popular when I started was a BlackBerry. Yep. Yep. And nobody yeah. was filming anybody on the BlackBerry. And Nextel. And, and Nextel was awesome. Nobody was insta-tweeting anything, right? And so all of this, you know, cell phone video stuff against police officers and against situations wasn't wasn't happening back then right so we weren't cognizant of it at all i don't think i knew about any of that until well um, i felt really free to do my job even even though i wasn't doing something wrong it was and you like today you're still looking to to look right on camera you know regardless of what you're doing you still think about it for a moment you know and that's what could get you killed well, yes. I remember thinking when I started that I prayed that I would make it home at the end of my shift. And the last several years that I was in patrol or detectives was I pray that I make it home and that I don't make the news. Right. <laughs> well, that that comes that's that comes with a lot. And they of things. were pretty equally weighted prayers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's. I mean, you, Kenton and I have, have left law enforcement full time. Start companies your company doesn't really do with a whole lot of customers coming in right. to your to a place um but mine has you know i've got to go do tv interviews i've got to go to functions and all of this stuff and i mean i used to tell my guys i used to tell other sergeants that 
you know, if, as a sergeant, if you have managed to send all of your guys home at the end of the night and keep your shift and your agency off the front page of the paper, you did a good job that yep. day. Yep. And um, it is so, it's so hard for me. I mean, marketing for me is terrible. I can't do it because I just, I've, I've never wanted to be on the front page of the paper. Never right. has been something I've wanted to do. So as a young officer, whether, or as a new officer, whether you're young or older, you're going to be at some point in your career, chances are you're going to be on something. You're going to be on a Facebook page. You're going to be on somebody's camera phone. You're going to be, somebody's going to do a story about you. You're going to be going and giving a blanket to uh, the women's shelter. Something's going to be happening. Yep. Whether and you're it's good gonna, or bad. Yeah. Good or bad. You're going to be in the limelight at some point because that's just the society that we have now. And I, and that's another piece of advice I give young people is you are on film. I yeah. don't care where you are. Yep. I don't care if you're clearing somebody's house with an open door on an alarm call. Most of these houses have cameras. Yep. Or I remember uh, when I was working down on a street that around here that has a whole lot of bars on it. And, you know, you size someone up by their age, their fitness level, maybe even what they're wearing as to whether or not they're going to be a, or if, gonna try and run from you. Or if you've got a good dispatcher, they might tell you their criminal history when you're on your way. Correct. But this particular guy, he was in his uh, late 40s and flip-flops and baggy shorts. And my, myself and the other officer sort of had, I think, kind of, without saying it, had kind of sized him up as we didn't think he was going to give us any, any trouble as far as trying to run or anything like that. And he took off running. And uh, we chased after him, and his shorts helped us out. They fell, and he tripped and and uh, fell face first. And we, you know, jumped on him, got him cuffed up. And when I looked up, there was a patio on that bar and i as soon as i'm standing up off the street there's like at least 15 to 20 cell phones with lights filming us during the whole thing and i'm like my goodness i'm on 20 people's facebook tonight i guess so i tell people i'm like do your job as though you're on tape because you are Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't be upset about... I had a, a co-worker arrest a guy for filming him because he said that the light was distracting from the from the cell phone. And it, you know, it got thrown out and it was a big mess, but I'm like, you shouldn't be offended that they're filming you. Right. Everybody's filming you. But you know, when we first started, I don't mean to interrupt you. When, we, when I first started, I was taught that interference with a police officer... Is a crime. It is. Mm-hmm. Interference with a peace officer is a crime. And that definition of interference was anything that causes me to have to divert my attention away from the scene, this suspect that I'm dealing with to you, has now crossed the threshold into an arrestable offense. And so we used to tell people to leave. Get away from here. I mean, I, that's still a lawful command. Mm-hmm. It's, still a, it's still a violation of the law for of them course. to refuse to do so. Um, or a but, few times we collected phones for evidence. Yep, because it had something on it. And so we... That's the way that I was raised, was if you're over here, it's for your safety, it's for my safety, it's for the suspect's safety. I mean, it's for everyone's safety. When we say get out of our perimeter here, even though there may not be a physical perimeter set up, you left because you knew that arrest was a, a certain outcome if you did not. Yeah. And uh, if you didn't, then arrest was a certain outcome. That doesn't happen anymore. Well, they've muddied the water on what it means to interfere. Yes. Yep. I think now, didn't they change the, it's not the law, but haven't they changed the pro, the prosecution practice to they have to actually physically interfere with the scene? 
I haven't kept up with it. That uh, caused you to take action instead of just lose focus? Or like you're trying to arrest them when they come in and try to get you off of them or something mm-hmm. like that, which would also be assault on a uh, peace officer. But, I mean, yeah, I'm pretty sure interference has to be physical at this point, not their mere presence. But I think, I mean, I, I, I don't It's been a while since I've been in patrol, but I, I think it's even reasonable and expected if I'm on a scene that you're going to back up to a distance that I feel comfortable continuing to do what I'm going to do. And if you don't, I mean, I think I would still jail them for interference. If you won't, if you won't move back far enough for me to do my job and to feel safe doing my job right? so that you're at least far enough that the minute that I see you starting to come towards me, I can start to take action. Right. So if you're, if you're too close for me to feel comfortable that I can respond to you, coming after me right um then we're gonna have a problem well it, it goes the same with anything you don't know what they're planning on doing right so i, I need and, time to react right and a, a reaction is a lot slower than an action mm-hmm. so um i shouldn't have to i shouldn't have to make that decision you should take heed to the warning to back off until our business is conducted and we'll come talk to you later or whatever so but that's where i think for for young people to start in a, in a corrections environment is huge absolutely yes because it teaches you how to take control of the scene understand how to talk to people understand how to you know only that your actions and your words mean something and they have consequences and you're in the jail and you're talking you know mad stuff to a, a a seasoned prisoner that could bite you really quick so mm-hmm. I think it teaches you restraint. It teaches you uh, de-escalation, but it also teaches you how to on a on a day-to-day thing how to treat people just by walking in the room. Uh, those guys in the jail, I, I, I I've told the story many times, but I'm not going to tell the whole story now. But I think my life was saved because of a guy that didn't jump on me because of the way I treated him in the jail. After I got out on the streets, he acknowledged who I was. And he did not get up. After I told him to get down, I was fighting his partner, his buddy. And uh, I was, I told him, if you get up, I'm going to kill you. And that's the only words I know to send this guy to say. And he, he immediately knew who I was when I said that. Not because how I treated him in the jail, but just my voice and how I spoke. Uh, he told me later on, he goes, I didn't get up, not because of what you said. It's because I figured out who you were. He said, you treated me with the utmost respect in the jail. He said, I don't know why, but he said, I just sat back down. And he was getting up when I told him that. So I was struggling with the guy. I had I had no choice but to back off or try to get away from this guy. If that guy got up, the second guy, if he was going to come after me, I had no choice but to separate and do what I had to do because I was out of gas at that moment. I don't remember. You were on a scene where that happened to me when I was brand new. I think it was my first week on patrol by myself. I was working evening swing, 6P to 2A. And family violence um, over 242, not terribly far from the freeway. Anyway, uh, six foot nine, mm. uh, felon, known to be assaultive. Uh, family violence, he assaulted his girlfriend and then fled. Uh, we were looking for him in the area. The victim flagged me down and said, he's at this house over here. I went over to the house. Uh, I saw him when I was getting out of the car, but his son, who was probably six foot eight and three quarters, came out and got between me and the dad 
and the dad took off and I lost sight of him and I had keyed up, you know, I'm out on suspects at this location and I could hear the tires squealing, the new girls out on the six foot nine felon. It's always and, a good uh, sound to hear. Right. And so everyone came squalling over there and we went through some yards and stuff and I spotted him. I was on the street in the intersection. The other deputy that was nearby was in the yard. I spotted him under a window unit, sitting Indian style. And I hollered at him. He got up. He hurtled the fence. <laughs> and I'm I'm five foot eight. Now was, this was you know probably thirteen years ago. Was that before or after your back surgery? Shut up. Uh, and I'm hauling it down the street. And I had had my taser just issued two days before that. And I'm running after him down the street, and I'm trying to figure out if it's on. Flicking it back and forth, trying to turn the thing on. I holler at him. I advise him I'm going to tase him. I fire the taser. He hears it. He lays. He turns quickly and, and lays down in a ditch. I missed him. Um, which caused radio traffic for show one tase, disregard tase, which made my MDT blow up. How do you disregard a tase? I said, well, you miss <laughs> yeah. So we were walking back to the car, and we're two, three blocks from the car, and the other deputy and I, and this guy's shoulders above my head, and it's midnight, and I'm trying to be a little miss. I'm tough, and so he's arguing with the other deputy, and I yank on his arm, and I'm like, just shut the fuck up, and he pulls away from me as we're walking back to the car, and he looks at me, and I wasn't married then, and he calls me by my last name. And he goes, you never talk to me like that. Don't do that. And I'm like, I know this dude did not read my name tag running down the street at midnight. And I'm like, do I know you? And he said, ma'am, I used to shine your shoes in the jail. He said, you never talked to me like that. You were always very respectful. And I said, well, then just knock it off. Yeah. And we get back over to the cars, you know, everybody's there because now we've got one running on foot and there's a tasing. So now we've got all sorts of units there from different agencies and i remember you were there and we get to the car and he starts bucking again and you know they're trying to get him on the car and all this and he kind of wiggles free and he looks at me and he goes what do you want me to do and i said get in the car and he said yes ma'am and he got in the car and i remember everybody on the scene was looking at me like who's the new girl like yeah. <laughs> what the hell just happened that this guy who's assaultive and a problem was like yes mamming me and doing what I asked him to do on scene. And that's another story that I do tell young people. I'm like, you're going to see these folks that's right. at the coffee shop, at a restaurant, at Walmart, wherever, and how you've treated them in the jail. Or on the street. Or on the street is going to be handled by them one way or another. Mm -hmm. The way yours was handled, which was, I'm not going jack with this deputy. He's right. a good dude. He's just trying to do his job. Right. Mine was, she treated me respectfully. As long as I can in jail, I'll treat him respectfully. I, right. I mean, I can open a can of something if I need to, but I'm going to be nice to you if I can. Paid off. Midnight, walking down the street. That's a great story, and it, it, it certainly... There's a million remember. like it. There's yeah. a million like that. That it, it, I, unfortunately, did not start in the jail. I went to... Uh, University of Houston downtown got my paid to get my my license so 
I was able to go directly to patrol at the time. And I do feel like there are things that I missed by not going to the jail or things that I could have learned an easier lesson, uh, you know, in a more controlled environment in the jail. As the, the jail is not controlled, but it's more controlled sometimes than the street is. A whole lot more. Uh, and so it, your it fight's been, not going to last nearly as long. Yeah. And you don't have to have nearly as much gas in your tank in that jail. And well, I tell it just the inmates on when that, and where it happens, you know. Well, I tell the inmates that, that the sooner you understand that this place is set up, that you're not going to win, the well, easier your stay is going to be. Yeah. Well, Joey Self could tell you a, a, a that was you know, a pretty bad story. example, right? And again, it was. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not saying it, it. They know they wait for instances An opportunity like that. Like so, that. if if an inmate's not thinking he's just going to fight you in the middle of the hallway and it's going to end rather quickly, like you said, but. If uh, you truly plan it out, which normally, even after they make it outside the walls of that jail, it's going to be, uh, normally it's, it's, a, it's a short day for them, mm-hmm. or a sh- short day or two of mosquitoes and dogs barking, uh, you know. But, yeah, it can happen anywhere. There's certainly, if the ones that are thinking are not going to do it in the middle of mail booking or just in the hallway where everybody can see But it. when you're on patrol and you know... All of your coworkers are tied up, you know, like in district, uh, the last district that I worked in, which was a, more of a rural district, everybody was about 30 minutes away from me. Yep. And I knew they were all tied up, the supervisor and everybody was tied up on a big call. And I go run some little silly, suspicious person call. Guy has a warrant. I know nobody's nearby me. And I tell him to turn around. You have a warrant. Turn around, put your hands behind your back. And he looks at me with one eyebrow up and says, that's not going to happen. That's a different feeling. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't care. Than in that jail. Yep. No, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a different feeling. And it, it's certainly uh, on those types of scenes, even before you arrive, you, you, you approach those scenes in a different manner mm-hmm. because uh, you're by yourself. And you're going to be by yourself. It's kind of like the same call I was on uh, regarding regarding the, the the fight I was in with a guy laid back down that I was waiting you could hear him coming but uh, you know it takes a while for him to get there even with uh, even at night when the roads are clear you know mm-hmm. it takes a while for him to get there well, that's a, that's a good lesson for those guys going out to patrol uh, or in the jail is if you're whether you're talking to somebody or you're coming to a call or something like that that's another lesson is uh, be aware of where your nearest backup is Listen to who's on a call. Listen to who, if somebody's on, if somebody's on a DWI, they can't. They're not dropping what they have right. got to come to you, probably. Right. Uh, It'd have to be really bad, and then in that case, you're uh, may not be. You may not be here anymore. So right. If they so, drop that call. So yeah, you just got to be aware of where your backup is and use that um, in your de-escalation. Yep. Use your de-escalation. That's what I was going to say. Is that then how you go about affecting that arrest? Maybe a little more creative mm-hmm. and a little more, uh, I don't know. I always found that when I was in a sticky situation, acting like I didn't know what was going on helped me out quite a bit. Um, just pretending, even though in the entire time I have a plan of, you know, if this happens, I'm doing this, and if this happens, I'm doing that. But if I can, I, I don't know, I guess being a woman, you can kind of really 
sell it that I, I'm just an old silly little deputy. I don't know what we're doing. Well, that's and the way I acted. I always acted like the, the guy uh, next door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good old country boy. I know well, a piece of advice that all three of us would definitely give to any officer anywhere. Take pride in your uniform. And your car. And your car. Which is your uniform as well. And your office. It's your uniform, your office. Um, I, you can't really make pants stretch because, you know, they're in direct contact with you for a while. and There's folks making butt sweats pants a thing. stretch. Yeah. But, um, you know, our shirts, our uniform shirts are outside of another shirt, outside of a vest. So you can usually make a good pinned up, polished up shirt that's got creases in it last for two or three days. Yep. Um, in August? It, I sometimes. a lot of money on dry cleaning. Yeah. So, sometimes. Sometimes you can. I mean, if you're sweaty right off the bat, no. You, that one, you need a fresh one. But the there was a there was somebody that was murdering officers in one of the northern states he would he would wait for them to pull over a car he had gotten ticketed at one point and so he would wait for an I officer to pull this, over yeah. a car I, was say, I remember this story yeah and shoot the officer from the from the bushes and why didn't he shoot this one and that one officer he didn't shoot because he said because i thought he was well put together his uniform looked sharp he looked like he had his shit together and i wasn't sure i was going to get him i always told my troops when you drive it with a crisp, clean car, which sometimes weather does not allow that to happen, but right. if this hasn't rained for a week, you, you, your car should be pretty nice looking. And your uniform should be pressed. Squared away. Yes. And so when you step on that scene, you at least look like you know what you're doing. Pay the money to go get your uniform tailored. Even though your agency might have a policy against doing it, it might save your life because it may make the, de- the determination for whether or not a suspect is going to fight you or kill you. Uh, like you said look the part and it's not necessarily wrong because if you do go through all that extra trouble then you are putting in the effort which means you probably go to the gym right uh, or at least take care of yourself to some extent or have some sort of training so um please but i've seen even big fellows you know that that uh they wear their uniform well and and uh some of them do not but um, Some of them look like they kept it overnight in their glove box. Right. And, and just got it out and put it on. But my thing also was in the car. Spend the money. Look at what you're doing every day and figure out how to make it more comfortable. Right. Better organized. I, I built a little seat caddy that I used to keep in the passenger seat of, of my car where I had all of these compartments and I had everything organized. The and then. And- Mm-hmm. And then I eventually figured out, and I think I had a Tahoe was the last one I had, and I had figured out that between the air vents I could hang a little hook, and I could hang my clipboard on the hook so that if I'm referencing the witness statement or whatever, over I've got everything right there, and I'm I'm typing, or I've even at one time when we the MDTs used to be locked onto the stand. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't move it. I had a, a wireless keyboard that I would put in my lab. MDT being a computer. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, where you're typing your report, you know, I have a bad back. I don't know if you know that, but. Um, Why aren't you twisting as much? <laughs> yeah, says I had back surgery last week. Uh, <laughs> so twisting in the car, you know, three, four reports into the shift started to be uncomfortable. So if you can do little things in your car. It's clean, number one. Number two, it's well organized. And everything is secure so that if you do get in a crash, you're not not getting banged in the head by everything in your car. Which will kill you. Yes. Um, 
I think that's another really big thing that can just make you feel like you've got your shit together well, on your we'll shift. Well, we'll take that in, uh, into consideration as well. If you are in a shooting or or you do have to take someone's life, um, crime scene's going to take pictures of all over that Tahoe. Mm-hmm. And if you've got Whataburger and all kinds of things that are just strode around Spit your... Spit cups and everything in the floorboard. Right. Um, that reflects on, it does. on your professionalism, I think. And it does. So it was very important to it keep may, your car clean. It may not sway a verdict, but it could definitely affect a jury. That's if they're what looking I mean. at pictures of yeah, that. Absolutely. And the other thing I used to do, which was kind of weird, was I would keep a case of water, especially in the summer I months. I did, too. Mm-hmm. And, and then, some In the back goods. of my car. And you would be on a scene, and, and you'd have somebody just almost hyperventilating upset, and you'd give them a bottle of water... And say here, just just calm down, just drink this water. Just well, give I remember yourself one a of our deputies. It just, it just it just went miles with one people. of our de- your deputies got was it one of yours or mine. I think it was one of yours that got in a shooting down in TLTR. That was mine. That was yours. Yeah. Uh, first thing he got was a bottle of water. Yep. And he was upset. You know, wasn't really upset. He was just uh, he's a warrior. So he he got water and he he got water and calmed down. It was you're yep. right. And, and on our old uniforms, on our previous administration, we had those campaign hats, and it had that campaign hat carrier. Yeah. And I had that in the back of my car, and I had a lady that um, her car went dead. Um, like, the whole electrical system shut down, and she had these two big golden retrievers. And it was August. It was hot. And the and the dogs looked like they were in distress. Um, they had just come back from the vet or something, and I, I was hopeful that that none of the administration would find out about it at the time. But now, in retrospect, I know they probably would have thought it was funny. But I took that campaign hat and carrier. Put water in it. And I threw it on. I put it on the ground, and I mm-hmm. put three bottles of water in, and it made the perfect water bowl for this, those two dogs. So. Well, that's some of our yeah, uh, advice we would give some new boots. We could talk several hours on that. We can. In fact, I mean, every one of us has been a training officer. and I was uh, never... You were never a training officer? I was never. What? Well, I would always door up <laughs> with the FTOs and their trainees. And I I never had cool stories. I never did anything cool. But I sure jacked some stuff up. Yeah. And I would tell them all of the stories where I almost got myself killed. Um, And I felt like that was... No. That's a contribution. There were plenty of deputies to tell them all the cool shit. I was there to tell them how to screw something up. Because yeah. that was my... My specialty. I, could, I, I had a few of those stories myself. <laughs> we could go on about this for a while, but, I mean, you usually have a trainee in your car for three three or four weeks at a time. Right. Probably not long enough, but, I mean, even during that three or four weeks, you don't run out of stories because you run across a, a scene that's similar to the one you did. Right. And, you know, this, when I did this, this one time this happened. So. Or you um, have a trainee like me since you were my FTO, James. But we, we, could, we could do a whole episode you. on that. <laughs> but why do you do it like that? But why? Well, I can tell you the answer is when she says, why are we doing this? The answer is not because we're the fucking police. I no. hate that answer. Oh, you can't. T- and if you, and, and, which I never did say that to her, but I know other trainers that did. And uh, she would call me afterwards and say, uh, so can you tell me the real reason why we're allowed to do this? Because my trainer wouldn't tell me. It's the most horrible, arrogant answer you can possibly get. Yep. There, there's, another, there's another tip for, for beginning officers is uh, if somebody tells you, the reason that you can are allowed to do something is because you're the fucking police. That's the wrong answer. That's go the wrong out. answer. Go find out. You need to know why you can do every single thing that you can do. 
why you would park where you park, why you would approach the scene the way you would approach it, all of those things. And if you're arrogantly walking into this job saying, I'm going to do what I want because I'm the fucking police, you're going you're to get, get fired, hemmed up. killed, or sued. Yes, you're going to get hemmed up. Or indicted. Yes. Yes. So and I will not put money on your books. <laughs> <laughs> no candy bars on my end. No. Well, um, we're going to wrap this one up and uh, – I really, I really enjoy doing these, so we're going to keep doing them, I think. So uh, this is... Absolutely. I'm James. Amber. I'm Kenton. And uh, our channel's open. Also, you can reach out to us on our social media and things like that and, and ask us questions. We look forward to reading some of these on the air and giving our two cents w- for what that's worth. So, and I uh, guess maybe we should ask for advice for new boots at podcasting because we sure don't know what we're doing just yet. <laughs> no, no shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank everybody for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time.